Well, back in June, I started a series of messages on the local church, and we were reminded that God only established three major institutions on earth. The family, civil government, and the local church. And as such, God put a great deal of importance on them. We understand that each of them serves specific purposes for which I am very grateful. But specifically, I am greatly interested in the institution of the local church as the local church was and still is commissioned by God to carry out His purposes. And I gave you a basic definition of the local church back in June. The local church is a body of truly saved or regenerated believers who in obedience to God's Word observe the ordinances, baptism and communion, and are led foremost by the Holy Spirit and then by called pastors and teachers. And furthermore, they have joyously banded together in unity, that is the great commandment, to be equipped to carry out God's purposes, a great commission. And I don't know about you, but I still love the local church. And I find it just incredibly amazing that um, we can travel on the other side of the globe. I uh, found it to be true in India. I found it to be true in Africa. That men and women, children that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, though we've never met before, we have a common bond in Jesus Christ. And uh, we can meet together as a local body of believers and continue to do God's work on the other side of the planet. It's amazing. And the reason we can do that is because of the person of Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, we have no reason to be here. Right? We understand that apart from Jesus Christ, we have no reason to be here this morning or any morning. But because of Jesus Christ, we have a purpose. He's come into our life. He saves us. He regenerates us. He, he, he instills us with the Holy Spirit to live permanently in our being. And then gives us a purpose. Well, as we continue our study on the local church, we want to observe what our relationship towards one another should entail. Um, it's amazing. I've said it many times in the past. I'm amazed that some churches ever get along with each other. And uh, I say the church because we are the church. And God made us each uniquely different. He gave us each desires and, um, how can I say it, a will. And sometimes your desire doesn't match up with her desire and his will doesn't match up with His will. And I'm amazed that we even get along sometimes. But I'm also thankful that we as a church have unity here. I've been on the flip side of it where there hasn't been unity. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful when God works in our hearts and we, in obedience, submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, we can have that peace. And we can have that unity. Um, but nonetheless, God uses the phrase, one another, numerous times in Scripture. And uh, we're going to look at some of those quote-unquote one-another phrases this morning. Uh, so in our study this morning, I'm going to be jumping around. I know that will shock some of you. Uh, but if you can, hang on. And uh, to the best of our ability, we'll have the references up there on the screen. Um, but before we do, let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, Lord, we thank You so much for this day. And we thank You for the opportunity to come before You uh, once again in prayer. We ask, God, that You would speak to our hearts. We pray, God, that Your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts to make us more like Your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, as we've taken some time this morning to pray for numerous things, Lord, we do pray for the Cosgroves as they leave. And, uh, Lord, that You would just meet their every need, Lord, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially. We ask, God, that You would just undergird them, give them the strength that they need, Lord, to complete Your tasks. And, God, as we meet together as a body of believers, God, we know that uh, there's an ideal that you have set for your, for your people. 
And then, Lord, I know that there are things that interrupt that ideal situation, namely our flesh and the sinfulness and the selfishness of man. And I pray, God, that you would convict where conviction is needed this morning, that you'd encourage where encouragement is needed this morning. But as we, over the next several weeks, start looking at the local church, I ask, God, that you would help us to be obedient as a body of believers, that we would major on what should be major, that we would minor on what should be minor. But, God, that we would first and foremost exalt you and then allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives as only you can. And, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you take the Word of God to change us. Because, Lord, we know that it's only through your Word and through your Spirit that we are changed. Otherwise, we are at best selfish human beings. So, God, work in our hearts this morning. Pray that you would, uh, Lord, just have your free will to take place in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first one another I want to look at this morning is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 9 and 10. It says this. It says, About brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brother in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brother, to do so even more. The first area I want to look at this morning is, uh, is the idea, the command of loving one another. You've heard me say before that love is a decision that results in an action. I can say that I love someone, but if my life doesn't back it up, it's just idle words. We've said many times that our walk walks and our talk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. The bottom line is actions speak louder than words. And I can say that I love someone, but if my life doesn't back it up, it's really just words. It's vain words. And the bottom line, in the body of Christ, we need to be loving one another even more. You know, here in 1 Thessalonians 4, he doesn't say that, hey, you guys need to love. He says, you, he says I see you. You've already been taught by God to love one another. But he says, I, I even see it in this area of Macedonia. But he said, I want you to do it what? Even more. The bottom line is, I don't think any church in America or around the globe can love each other too much. Think so? The bottom line is, we need to be loving each other more and more. Uh, I really believe that there's a day coming that we're going to have to stand up for our faith. And if we live in a world of selfishness, we're not going to get very far. We're going to have to come to depend on each other more and more in the days ahead. I, I, I trust that you can see that. But we are going to need to lean on each other and the strength that each and, other, each and every one of us can give to the body of Christ by doing what we're supposed to do. But he says we need to love one another. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly. Um, I, I've heard people say before in times past that, well, God, I know we're supposed to love everybody, but I don't, do I have to like them? I don't know how you can earnestly love somebody if you don't like them. Um, I, I think there has to be within our heart a desire. Uh, number one, if you are not filled with the Spirit, it's not going to happen. Do you understand that? Apart from the Holy Spirit living within us, guiding us, directing us, selfishness will prevail. And the bottom line is, he says, you need to earnestly love one another from a pure heart. In other words, that calls us to guard our, emo our emotions. It calls us to guard our motives. But when we love someone from a pure heart, that's when God is pleased. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, 
maintain an intense love for one another. It's amazing how the how the in the Holman Christian it uses that word intense. I don't know about you, but when I think of that word intense, that's intense. I mean, that's, that's with all of our energy, with all of our strength, with all of our being. He says to love one another with an intensity about it. And I don't think that really happens a whole lot in the body of Christ. I think there's a general love. I'm just being honest. I, I think there's a generous, a general type of love. Well, this is my brother. I love him. I'm thankful for him. They've been faithful. They serve here. La, 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 la. But do we go out of our way to show an earnest love? an intense love from a pure heart. I wonder what would be different if we would love one another with that kind of love. I wonder if there would still be church splits all over America if we would be obedient to this command. I wonder if, if factions would be and divisions would be and little cliques would be if we would love each other with this kind of love. What we truly say, and I, you've heard me say it for a year and a half now, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what pleases me. It's not about what I think this church should be or what I think the church should do. It's all about the one. Right? Do we believe that? Or is it just an ideology that we think is good for and we should shoot for it? It's not about me. So he says over and over, we're to love one another. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 3. Several verses here that talk about this idea of loving one another. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11 says this, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. What's he saying here? The bottom line is when Christ enters our life, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence, there has to be a change within us. And that big change in the broad picture is that there is now a love for one another in the body of Christ. Why did, he, why did, why did Cain kill his brother? Well, obviously it's there in the Scripture. But there is a selfishness. And a pride that ought not be in the life of a believer. He goes on and says again in verse 23. Now this is His command that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He has commanded us. First John 4 tells us we love Him because He first loved us. And because He loved us, we're to love others. Makes it very clear in First John 4, 7-11. through and then he goes on in Romans chapter 12. says, let love be without hypocrisy. We all know what a hypocrite is. And it's so easy that for every one of us to walk into church every week, organized church, we come to that place, even though we are the church, we go to church, and we say, hey, how's it going? And the pat answer is, fine, great, wonderful. And then there's that person that we kind of avoid because we've had that little run-in. And then there's that person that we kind of, well, they just think that way and I don't agree with them, so I'm going to do my thing and let them do theirs. There ought to be love and it ought to be without hypocrisy. 
We know what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something that they're not. In fact, in, in, in the etymology of the word, it has the idea of playing the role of an actor. While I'm on stage, I have this costume on, and I play the role of another person who's not really me, because as soon as that play is over, as soon as that scene is over, I step off stage, take my costume off, and that's who I really am. And I wonder how many times we come to church and we put our acting suit on. Because we really don't want to be honest and truly love others. Because when you look at somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? We know in our minds that, well, if I really be honest, I've had a lousy week, everything's gone wrong, I'm really tired, and I really don't have the patience to talk to you right now. And we're playing the role of a hypocrite. And I see how it happens, because we really don't want to listen to someone else's problems. But it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor which is evil, cling to what is good. He says, let's be real. Let's love earnestly. Let's love with intensity. It's amazing how this is borne out throughout the book of Acts. It says that everybody who had anything that was common... They sold it and they brought it to the church and they let the church give to those who had need. That's love. Love says, hey, it's not about me. It is not about all that I can get. I'm willing to show my love and give to those who have need. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. I'm willing to do what's right. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, be concerned for one another to promote love. Be concerned for one another. To promote love. It's easy to promote agendas, isn't it? It's easy to promote you know, what our thinking is, but do we promote love? In fact, I think the King James word there is provoke one another unto love. We're easy. I mean, I'll tell you, every one of us are really good at provoking. But what do we provoke to? Do we provoke to love? We poke and prod and pick and to, to love more. But I wonder, do we love as Christ loved? When I think of how Christ loved, and every one of us, this is common knowledge, but He loved sacrificially. He gave everything. He went to the cross. He stretched out His arms, was nailed to that cross. He paid a debt that He didn't know because we had a debt we couldn't pay. That's sacrifice. He loved consistently. Not just when we, quote-unquote, do what's right. That's consistent. It's not, if you do this, I will do that. He says, I love you with everything that I have to love you with all the time. Is He always pleased with us? No. But does He always love us? Yes. He loves us consistently. Completely. Do we love others that way? Is God's love seen within the church? But not only loving one another, but also the second one, one another I want to look at for just a moment is to honor one another. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 it says this, Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. We are to honor one another. You've heard me say before through illustration that the word honor means to give value to something. 
If I honor something, I mean, I am giving value to it. I am giving, in the Greek word, the idea of giving weight to something. In other words, when I honor what somebody says, or what somebody thinks, I give weight to what they say. In other words, I don't take their word flippantly. I don't think it as, well, that's just their opinion. I give weight. I give value to what that person says. That's the idea of honor. It means to give value to, to give weight to. I wonder how often do we honor one another? Do we honor? It says outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, when we meet with people within the body of Christ, do we honor what they think? Do we honor what they say? Or are we so selfish that we can't think about their opinions? Because my opinion is more valuable than yours. Is my way of thinking better than your way of thinking? If that's my mindset, I'm wrong. We're to give honor to what other people also say. Number three, also found in the book of Romans, is this. Agree with one another. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 16 it says this. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Wow, that's a loaded verse. Be in agreement with one another. Goes on, not be proud. When am I not in agreement with other people? When I've got so much pride that I think my opinion is better. When I think my idea is better. When I think what I see should take place should take place is better than what you think should take place. He said, instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I learned something valuable in my first ministry as a youth pastor. Um, I always liked what the pastor said. And I've tried to follow this over the years. And those of you who I've had meetings with, you've heard me say this, I believe, many times. When we are in discussion, when we are possibly having a disagreement, I will sometimes say something like this. It's just my opinion, and I could be wrong, but I think we should finish the blank. What's that say? It says, I know we are not on the same page just yet. I know that you have an opinion, I have an opinion. And I could be wrong about mine. But here's how I see it. It says, associate with the humble. In other words, I may not be right. But you may not be right either. Mike always says, if two people are meeting, and he thinks he's right, and he thinks he's right, somebody's wrong. Maybe both of us. Right. But what's he saying here? Are we, can, can we come to an agreement? And obviously we use God's Word as a defining point for that. But sometimes God's Word has anything to do with it. Sometimes it's just a, a proud, arrogant person saying, I want my way. Are we willing to come to an agreement and put our pride aside? Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. We need to, in our conversation... This is how I see it, and I could be wrong. But I'm willing to agree. 
In Romans chapter 15, verses 5-7, through it says this, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another. Right off the bat, he says, wait a minute. God is the one that's going to let you live in harmony. Because two men who are selfish cannot do it by themselves. Two women who are selfish cannot do it by themselves. Apart from God, you cannot do this. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. God loves unity. That's very clear. Therefore, accept one another just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. He makes it very clear. God loves unity. He loves for His children to walk in harmony. Are we willing to agree with one another? And then down to verse 14, says this, My brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. We have what it takes. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father to instruct. But apart from God, you cannot do it. So we're to love one another, we're to honor one another, we're to agree with one another, be in harmony with one another. Number four, we're to lift up and to build one another. Romans chapter 14, verse 13. It says, Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another. Ooh, that hurts. How easy is that to do? How easy is it to be critical of one another? How easy is it to be critical of everyone else except ourselves? Well, if they would just do this, it'd be better. If they would just do that, they would be so much further ahead. Man, there are people that you get around and you just say, man, why did I come here and talk with you? There are just certain people that just are so pessimistic and so degrading. But that shouldn't be us as God's children. So he says, therefore, let us no longer criticize one another and instead decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. As we take that to heart, things would be so much different if we had built each other up. Now we know what the context of this is. It says, I know that I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Now think about this. I've said before, I'm a carnivore. I like meat. And just because he offered the idol to, or offered that meat to, to an idol, <laughs> I don't believe in that God, and that God means nothing, so I'm going to take the steak and eat it. Alright? No. See, he makes it very clear. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy that one Christ died for by what you eat. Therefore do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we must persuade or pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. We're to pursue that which builds up. And if we're pursuing what builds up, that means selfishness is off the throne. 
What I want doesn't matter. It's what pleases God. What builds up another believer? Number five. We'll not take a long time there, but 1 Corinthians 11.33, in dealing with the Lord's Supper, he says, when you come together, wait for one another. You ever been in such a blasted hurry that people get their feelings hurt? Slow down. Because the moment, the, what we're considering here is that we're coming together and we are going to honor the Lord and what He's done for us on the cross of Calvary. So He says, when you come together, it's not about you eating your meal and you're eating your meal and doing this. We are waiting for one another. And together we will worship the Lord. So to wait one another. Number six, bear one another's burdens. Galatians chapter six, if you turn your Bibles there. Galatians chapter 6 says, Carry one another's burdens. In this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Then he goes on and says, For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone, and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. What's he say here? Carry one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. If we're not careful, this takes place. We wake up in the morning, what do we do? We get dressed, we take a shower, we get dressed, we go about our day, we feed ourselves, we comb our hair. Life, if we're not careful, just by the very nature of our routine that we do every day, if we're not careful, life revolves around me, myself, and I. What pleases me, what brings joy to me, what I enjoy doing. But what happens when someone else has a problem? Um, Someone said last week, boy, certain people who have problems are attracted to you. Yeah, I guess that does happen sometimes. Because when you take the time to be interested in people, you'll learn more about them. You know what I find with helping people? It's time-consuming. You ever had someone call your phone 2,700 times in 24-hour period? Because their problem is just bigger than life? It takes time. And there's no replacement for it. For you to carry one another's burdens means you have to set yours aside and say, God, what do you want me to do in this? How can I help this person? I find in my own life that just randomly, sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes in the middle of the morning, sometimes late at night, God will just lay someone on my heart. And what I've learned to do in that moment is just to stop everything and pray. Because if God wakes me up in the middle of the night with somebody's name specifically, I just have to believe it's for a reason. And that God wants me to pray for that person. So I've learned to do that. But I just know, generally speaking, if you're going to be involved in carrying other people's burdens, you're going to have to just set your own time, agenda, wants, worries aside to let God use you to help that other person. And there's just no no bones about it. It takes time. 
Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? I find that there's a world of people who have struggles behind closed doors that no one else knows about. It's easy to come to church. It's easy to say, hey, everything's going great. But back at home, there's struggles with an illness. There's struggle with finances. There's struggle with work situations that aren't going well. There's struggle with relatives. There's struggle with children. But we're not convinced that someone else loves us enough to take the time to help us through them. So we just keep quiet. How often are we guilty of that? Are we willing to carry another burden? Number seven. This is an interesting one found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. It says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another. In fact, I think the King James and the New King James uses the word tolerate. Tolerate one another. But more than that, accept one another. Are we willing to do that? In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 13, it says, Accepting one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so must also you, so, so you must also forgive. Number seven and eight go together. Accepting one another, forgiving one another. Ephesians four thirty two, forgiving one another. You know what we have a tendency to do? When someone comes together and they say, Hey, I know I've offended you, would you please forgive me? Our, our nature is to say, yeah, you're forgiven. Because that's the good, acceptable Christian thing to do. But I've seen it a thousand times. They did the, the rote action. Did what they were supposed to do in forgiving. But they really didn't forgive. I can remember not too long before we moved here. Um, as someone in the church, they came to me and said, Pastor so-and-so really, you're, you know, I don't, know what the, I don't know what the problem is. They're really irritated with me. And I said, go to them and talk with them. Well, I did. I said, well, what did you say? Well, I told them I was wrong and that I'm sorry I hurt their feelings and I asked them to forgive me and they said that I was forgiven. Okay? But the problem kept going. Fizzing and blowing, blowing and brewing and blowing and brewing and blowing. So I went to this person over here. I said, so-and-so went to you and they apologized for what they did. Yes. I said, they asked for your forgiveness? Yes. I said, and you responded how? Well, I told them he was forgiven. I said, now here's the real question. Did you forgive? Well, they... Did you forgive? So I said, not only do you not forgive, now you've lied to them and telling them they've forgiven when you haven't. They think the problem solved, but you know that it's not. Folks, when we forgive one another, it needs to be genuine. My wife taught me something right after we were married. Uh, it wasn't long after we were married. I, I, I had done something stupid as we men do from time to time. You know, they've got enough ammunition to sink all of us men. 
But I did the husband thing to do, the right husbandly thing to do, and I said, Don, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And uh, I said, I'm sorry, but you... And then she just stopped me. If you're sorry, there's no buts. I'm sorry, but you... No, 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 you don't understand. You're justifying your apology. You can't can't justify your apology. It's either you're sorry or you're not. You're either going to justify your apology or you're going to truly apologize. It's not, I'm sorry, but you. It's, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And God's Word says, just as Christ the Father has forgiven you, so you must also what? Forgive. Does that make all memories go away? No. And sometimes we forgive, and then they do it again. And then they do it again. And they do it again. You know why they do it? Because people are immature. You know why we forgive? Because God has laid the example in forgiving and tells us to do the same. Seventy times seven. So as soon as you hit your quarter, you can no. know. <laughs> you forgive. And you keep on forgiving. Does it mean that you're foolish in some of those circumstances? No. Sometimes we have to build walls of protection so that we don't keep putting ourselves in those situations. But when those situations occur, we need to be godly in how we deal with it. And we give, bring forgiveness. Number nine, Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-one. Ephesians five, verse twenty-one says, "Submitting to one another in the fear of God, Christ." Verse fifteen says, "Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil." So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Submitting to one another. You know, what I found in my life, to submit to someone else means I have to surrender control. And I don't know about you guys especially, but men don't like to surrender control of anything. We want to control the outcome. We want to dictate where things are going to go. But to submit to one another means I have to surrender my rights. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, In the same way, younger men, be subject to the elder. And all, the, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He goes on and tells us to humble ourselves, but we need to be submissive to one another. Number 10, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us that we are to admonish one another. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Admonishing one another. Building up, encouraging, exhorting, sometimes correcting. All those words that are wrapped up in the word admonish. 
But sometimes if we admonish someone else, that means we have to be doing what's right ourselves. It's hard to point someone else's flaws when you've got flaws of your own that you haven't dealt with. But that's all the more reason to walk with God, to walk with as Christ would have us to walk. And then one last one. Encourage one another. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. It says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And he goes on, chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have so much to be thankful for. We have the message of the gospel. Are we willing to encourage one another with that? As only Jesus Christ can. Verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. In other words, if you're encouraging, you keep doing it. Lift those up around you. In James chapter 4, we'll close with this. James chapter 4, verse 11. It says, don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if he judges the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So he says, encourage one another. Don't criticize one another. And in chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Brothers, do not complain about one another, so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. He says, we're to encourage one another. As we come into the body of Christ, folks, I look around the world, around, the world everywhere, and I see what's taking place, and I don't see it getting better. Does anyone see the world getting better? It's not going to happen. And the church ought to be a safe haven. It ought to be a beacon of light. It ought to be a place of hope and rest. And when selfishness permeates the body, God is not glorified. God is not exalted. And if we're going to do what's right, that means we have to love one another. We have to honor one another. We have to agree with one another. We need to build up one another. We need to wait on one another. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to tolerate or accept one another. We need to forgive one another. We need to submit to one another. We need to admonish one another. And we need to encourage one another all the more. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, And not forsaking the assembling as a matter of some, but all the more as we see the day approaching. The day of the Lord is going to come. And as I remind our brothers in Africa, two things. Number one, we don't know when we're going to die. And we don't know when Christ is going to come. So we need to redeem the time. We need to do what's right. And, and, and to restore the relationships that we are to have with one another in the body of Christ while we still can. I expect fighting out there. They don't have Christ. I expect that there would be selfishness outside the walls of this local gathering. I expect that there would be deceitfulness and selfishness, and everything else that, that comes with not knowing Christ outside the walls. But in here, there ought to be peace and unity. There ought to be love. There ought to be a harmony and a peacefulness that comes within knowing Christ. And if it's not in here, how can the world, how can we expect it anywhere else? It needs to be a part of who we are one another in the body of Christ? Probably never thought about all the things that Christ says to do with one another. Probably never come to your mind. 
but I don't know about you, but it causes me to think, I wonder how my life is perceived by others. I found out over the years, and my younger years especially, that in every bit of criticism, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be criticized. I mean, there's no bone in my body that enjoys criticism. Pastor, you... Immediately, what do we do and do? We want to fight for what we think is best or right or good or whatever. But over the years, I've learned one truth. In every bit of criticism, there is some element of truth. It's usually exaggerated. It's usually made bigger than life. But I've found in times of being criticized, there's some element of truth in it. And that's what we need to work on. And what other thing that I've learned over the years is that perception is reality. If someone perceives you to be a certain way, guess what? You more than likely are. Whether you like it or not. And in those circumstances, we need to do a self-evaluation. Am I like Christ or am I selfish? Because I will never love one another, love anyone else, if I'm not first in love with God. I'll not, I'll not be the person that God wants me to be as long as I'm being selfish. God has to do that work. But God does that as we surrender our spirit to His. Our will to His. When we relinquish the control of our life to Him, only then can we be what He wants us to be. And if we're not being obedient as a body of believers, how in the world can we expect God's blessing? I mean, when we really boil it down to brass tacks, there's only a few things that God really expects of us. Obedience, selflessness, and surrender. I mean, when we really boil down to the bare essentials, God never asks us to die for Him. He didn't ask us to go out and preach to stadiums full of people. He asks us to walk in simple obedience. But if we as a body of believers can't walk in simple obedience, how in the world can we expect God's blessing in our life as a body? It calls us to self-examination. Are we being obedient to what God asks us to be? When we consider the one another's, are we loving one another? Are we honoring one another? Are we in agreement with one another? Are we building up one another? Are we waiting on one another? Are we bearing one another's burdens? Are we accepting of one another? Are we forgiving one another? Are we submitting to one another? Are we admonishing one another? Are we encouraging one another? If we are not obedient to these simple commands, these are just straightforward verses of Scripture. Not much explanation needed. But if we cannot be obedient to these simple commands, how can we expect God's blessing on our local assembly? I want God's blessing. I want God to do a work here. I'm excited what God's doing in Africa. I'm excited about what God's doing in India. I'm pretty excited about our friends going, going to Indonesia. That's pretty cool. I'm excited about what God's doing around the globe. But I don't want second-hand excitement. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want second-hand excitement. I don't want to be excited about what's going on everywhere else. I want to see what God's going to do here. I don't want to read about it somewhere else and never experience it here. 
And if we want God's blessing, we have got to walk in obedience. So the challenge is there. Are we willing to self-examine our lives? Let God examine our lives and to start being obedient to some of these areas. My challenge this morning is simple. You know what you're obedient to and what you're not obedient to. You and God know that perfectly well. I don't even need to know it. Your neighbor doesn't need to know it. Because God and you know it perfectly well. The areas that you are obedient to and the areas that you are not. But can I say this? If there are people on the opposite side of this church that, and I don't know of anything, I'm not aware of any big struggles, but if there is someone else in this body that you're not showing love to, deal with it. If there's someone else that you're not submissive to, deal with it. If there's someone you're not honoring, deal with it. God is calling us to obedience. And if I'm up here and everyone else is down here, guess what? That's not selflessness. That's not Christ-likeness. God wants us to be in harmony and unity. God loves unity. I've been reading a book called Sticky Teams and another book called Sticky Church where the pastor was talking about for years trying to develop a unity within the body so that God could bless it. I want unity. I want God's, God's hand to be at work in our midst. But that means we have to first walk in obedience. That's my challenge. From God's Word, you and God know perfectly well what you struggle with. And every week, as God's Word goes out, we have an opportunity to respond to it. And how you respond is between you and God. But I challenge you to be obedient and to be honest about where you are at in that journey and to deal with it correctly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your Word. And the fact that you said your word will not return void, but will accomplish your perfect will. And I pray, God, that every one of us in this room this morning, Lord, that we would be honest about where we're at in these areas. Lord, I don't know, I honestly don't know of difficult circumstances, a ton of them that are taking place within our assembly. I don't know if somebody has talked with someone else or with me. I don't know if someone else is upset with someone else for something they said or did or some miscommunication or whatever. But God, I know that you'll not bless when we're not walking in obedience. And when selfishness permeates our midst, you cannot bless it. So God, I pray as I prayed earlier that you would convict where conviction is needed and that you would encourage where encouragement is needed. And that your will, your perfect will, would go forth. And God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts this morning. Lord, that you would have your perfect way. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I ask that all of us would be praying, I ask that no one be looking around. Don't be squinting through your eyes. It's between you and your you and God. But just for a moment this morning, you say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself today, there's some of those areas I'm struggling with. When I consider myself as one another in the body, with one another in the body of Christ, there's some people I've maybe not loved. There's some people maybe I've not honored. Maybe there's some people I've not uh, given honor to. There, there's whatever, for whatever the circumstance, 
Say, God, God has challenged my heart this morning. There's some things that need to change. Would you pray for me? You know, like that. Yes. The front and the back, the sides, yes. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. If I'm honest with myself, there's some of these commands I have not been obedient to. Would you pray for me? Yes, in the back, in the sides. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. Him that knows to do what's right doesn't do it, it's sin. So my challenge to those of you who have raised their, your hand this morning is to deal with those areas. So that there'd be no reason why God would not want to bless. That we would not be selfish or self-righteous. or but That God would have his perfect will in our midst. Many people raise your hands. Now the question is, what will you do with that? The Holy Spirit has confronted an area that's not right. What will you do with it? Maybe there's someone that you need to go to today. Maybe there's someone you need to write a letter to. Maybe there's someone you need to pick up the phone and call. And maybe God is challenging your heart to make those relationships right. But don't walk out without being obedient to what God would have you to do. Let's all stand to our feet this morning.